Hey everyone, and welcome back to Round the Cauldron. My name is Megan, and I am here to shed light on Wicca from a modern perspective. This podcast is produced every Monday, sometimes educational, sometimes philosophical, and always honest. So grab some coffee, pull up a seat, and join me Round the Cauldron. guys thanks for joining me for episode 20 um last episode i can't say last week because it wasn't here last week but last episode got pretty heavy talking about religion and politics and i don't want to do that every week so i'm gonna lighten it up a little bit this week and talk about sympathetic magic so before we hop into it i just want to take a second to say hi to any new listeners out there i'm glad you're here Um, I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoy making it. Don't forget that you can leave a review wherever you listen to help other people find the podcast. Besides the podcast, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Round the Cauldron, on Twitter at Round the Cauldron without the D, and at my website, roundthecauldron.com, where you can find um, show notes and links for each episode. I also have a shop where you can get a tarot reading or one of my fancy and mystical crochet items. And lastly, you can help support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash roundthecauldron, where you'll get exclusive patron-only perks, and all links will be in the show notes. Um, So we do have an announcement. It's the same announcement that's been going for the last couple of episodes. Um, Don't forget about my giveaway. I'm giving away my rainbow chakra meditation shawl that I crocheted. Um, As of the time, the last time that I checked the entries, um, there were only seven, only seven entries. I know there are more of you than seven. I know more of you listen than that. So if you want to enter to win a handmade rainbow, beautiful colored crochet shawl, then head over to my website, roundthecauldron.com, click the link that says giveaway, and enter to win. It is open until June 29th, so you've still got a couple weeks to enter, and it is open internationally, so if you're not in the U.S., that's okay. Um, I will cover all shipping costs and um, all of that stuff, so, you know, check it out, and good luck. Um... I also wanted to announce that I'm going to do something a little different at the end of the show. Um, I'm going to have like a little bonus section. Um, So for this bonus section, I'm going to explain what the heck happened to me last week and why I kind of like disappeared for a minute. Um, But I don't want to make my episodes too convoluted with things like that and, you know, life updates and whatnot. Um, But I know there's some people out there who would enjoy seeing that um, your modern witch is just your regular average person that has a life and has things that happen. Oh, and forewarning the bonus section, I will probably not be censoring my mouth. <laughs> so feel free to skip the bonus section if you don't want to hear it. Anyway, so let's go, let's move on. We'll get to the bonus section later at the end. Um, but let's talk about what sympathetic magic is. So the, the, the Merriam-Webster dictionary <laughs> defines sympathetic magic as follows. Magic based on the assumption that a person or thing can be supernaturally affected through its name or an object representing it. 
So when we think of magic and spells, we don't really think of something like sympathetic magic. We might think of casting a circle and um, having a bunch of candles and chanting and really getting into that sort of trance and that headspace of spell work. Um, and you might even actually have a hard time imagining something like sympathetic magic because it's not something that we typically encounter regularly and it's not something that we're used to seeing. But I do have some quotes from two of my favorite books that really explain and help to visualize a sympathetic magic at work. So the first one comes from Janet Farrar and Gavin Bone. I've spoken about their book before, um, The Inner Mysteries. So it's in their first chapter, and they just this is where they're discussing their theory um, that witchcraft has its roots in shamanism. So their quote says, and this is on page one and two, if any of you have this book or will want to buy it. They say, Looking at cave art and archaeological artifacts, we can theorize that the earliest magical practices came about when Homo sapiens began to migrate east and west from Africa. Their magic revolved around the most basic instinct of mankind, survival. Imagine the following scene. In a firelit cave, a man dresses in deerskin and dons an antlered head and dons an antlered headdress. He begins to chant. The chant grows into a grunt, the grunt into a recognizable hern call of the rutting stag. As he slowly circles the fire, the other male members of the tribe come out of the darkness. Each grasps a stick as though it were a spear. At a given moment, they lunge on the costumed figure. In a frenzy, they symbolically kill the stag. By doing this form of magic, they see themselves as successfully procuring meat for the tribe on the following day's hut. On the following day's hunt, not hut, what the heck. I promise I can read. <laughs> um, anyways, their, their example of sympathetic magic goes back to our roots as a species and what we, what we as a species did for survival. And I can't imagine that back then, however many thousands of years ago that was, that we as a species really had a name for that, um, or that they would even think that what they were doing is that. Um, I'm not sure. I wish I could travel back in time and witness it, um, but it is a magical experience regardless. Now, my next example of sympathetic magic comes from Margot Adler and her book Drawing Down the Moon. Her example is more recent. And it allows us to really connect with the idea of sympathetic magic in a modern way. So she explains here that she was visiting a farm where a couple lived who were part of a coven in Colorado. It says, Now, what did magic mean to this group of witches? And how would their definition differ from the notion commonly held by the public that never fails? She always comes in and meows at the door. Sorry, kitty. Um, what did magic mean to this group of witches? And how would their definition differ from the notion commonly held by the public and from the views of scholars? What, in fact, was a real instance of magic at the farm? Although this group is now disbanded, I visited the farm in 1974 and 1976. On a hot and dry day, four of us, 
myself, two weekend volunteers who were studying with the coven, and one full-time member were asked to go down to the river, which habitually dried up in the late summer until, by September, nothing remained but a cracked riverbed. Each year, as the river dried up, the fish inhabitants died. Our project was to catch the dying fish in two buckets and fill an entire small truck with the creatures, which would then be used as composting materials for an organic garden. A few of the fish were floating on the surface, but most were still quite lively and dashed away to survive a few more hours, perhaps days. It was slimy, messy, and unsuccessful work. At the end of three hours, we were caked with mud up to our thighs. We returned with only two buckets of fish. It seemed an impossible task. When we arrived back at the farm, Michael said that he would go back with us to the river, that the job was possible, and that, more to the point, the fish were needed. I was skeptical. In the truck on the way to the river, he spoke a few words about magic. This may have been the only time I heard the word during my stay at the farm. Magic, he said, is simply the art of getting results. He noted that the fish were dying and that they might as well be put to good purpose fertilizing the earth. He impressed upon us the necessity for our actions. Michael then began to describe how bears catch fish with their paws. He asked us to visualize ourselves as bears, to place ourselves in the position of a hungry bear in need of food. I began to imagine the essence of a bear's life. In such a mood, we waded to the middle of the river, where the water came up to our waist, and began slapping our hands together very quickly, catching the fish between our hands and throwing them over our heads onto the beach. We continued this process of slapping and throwing until the beach was covered with fish. An hour later, we gathered them up in buckets and took them to the truck, which was soon filled almost to the top. So I read, I read the whole passage right there just to give you some context of how sympathetic magic can work. Because in her example, they tried it first with just the thought in their head that it was something that they needed to do. And that was it. But then when they took on the aspect of sympathetic magic by sort of embodying the essence of a bear and really feeling how that would work and how that would happen, they started to get results. Now, I'm not going to lie and say that I have read this whole book. I have not read the whole book yet. Honestly, I just got it for Christmas this past year. And I know that's one of the most recommended books for new witches and Wiccans is Margot Atherley's Drawing Down the Moon. I've been a Wiccan for more than 10 years and I have never read it. Um, I'm trying to make my way through it, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so sympathetic magic was explained and outlined in a book by Sir James George Fraser called the goat called the um the golden bow the golden bow um I'll, I'll include a link to that in the show notes because you can actually read it online at bartleby.com for free so Fraser split the sympathetic magic into two principles of thought um the first the first one he calls the law of similarity and the second he calls the law of contact or contagion. Now, if you go read, if you go and read through his writing, it, it can be a little confusing just because of the way it was written. But basically, 
he says that the law of similarity means that the witch believes that imitating an action in a in a ritualistic manner can cause that action to take place. So, you know, when the caveman, with the, the caveman and the hunt. And he explains that the law of contact means that whatever a witch does to a material object will also affect the person that object once belonged to. For example, Poppet. So, even though these terms and definitions were really coined a while ago, you can see they, they can be applied and used today. So, and there's even been some study done about the psychology behind sympathetic magic, but that doesn't really surprise me at all. Uh, but if you think about it, during our ritual and the typical things that we do for Sabbath, we actually use sympathetic magic quite a bit. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, so for Yule, you know, we light the Yule log and we greet the sun. And it's really a symbol of empowering the sun and bringing bringing that light back, back to our, our side, back to us. And then um, Immolk. One of the common things to do on Immolk is to light candles in the dark in each room. And this is to bring that sunlight into your home. Now on Ostara, one of the things that people like to do is to start their garden and they sow their seeds. This is one that really resonates with me because I have a garden and I have a greenhouse and I like to grow things. But you're not just planting seed for things to grow if you're using it ritualistically and spiritually. You're planting those seeds for your own growth and taking care of that plant is taking care of yourself. I read a story once on... I think it, it originated on Tumblr, but I don't remember where I saw it. But it was about this this person who had I don't know if they called themselves a witch, I don't I don't know that part, but they had a plant for each of their friends. And they took care of the plant, they watered it, and they loved it, and any time the plant needed a little extra attention Normally, that friend also needed a little extra attention. So bringing these plants as representations of this person's friends was a form of sympathetic magic and that she was taking care of the plants but also taking care of the people. And I really, really like that correlation. Uh, then you have Beltane. Sorry, that was like a sidetrack moment. I got uh, distracted. Um... Uh, Beltane. You have the maypole. Now the maypole is a historically phallic symbol. Now if you don't know what that means, phallic means penis-like. It is a representation of male genitalia because at Beltane is the consummation of the god and goddess and their marriage to bring about the fertility of the earth. So you've got the maypole, which is the phallic symbol, and then you wrap the maypole with ribbon and flowers and, you know, dance around it and whatever, whatever you do. But it's a form of sympathetic magic, in my opinion, because you are assisting in that process of the unity of the god and goddess. 
and you are strengthening their bond by your beliefs and your ritual. Now with Litha, a lot of people light bonfires at Litha. Um, it's midsummer, you know. <laughs> you light a bonfire at Litha to, to boost the, sun, the energy of the sun for the rest of the growing season. If that's not sympathetic magic, I don't know what it is. You're using the fire as an essence for the sun, as a representation of the sun. So you light the fire, and the bigger the fire, the more energy the sun is going to have for the rest of the growing season. It works. And then you have drawing down the moon. Now, I've never done this myself. I've wanted to, but I've never been in a space physically and mentally and emotionally where I would feel confident enough and ready to handle drawing down the moon on my own. And since I don't have a coven, I'm not comfortable doing it on my own. But with drawing down the moon, I don't know if it would be a form of sympathetic magic. I don't know, but it popped into my head when talking about sympathetic magic, when going through my notes. But with drawing down the moon, you're entering a trance and you're bringing the essence of the goddess into yourself, however you believe that to happen. Now, at this point, it could be sympathetic magic because you are the representation of the goddess. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was in my head. Um, sympathetic magic can be used outside of Sabbaths, too. So if you think of things like poppets, one of the most common misconceptions about witchcraft is that everybody uses a voodoo doll. Now, that's not the case, but a poppet is a really, 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 really really good example of sympathetic magic. And this would go along with Fraser's idea of the law of, um, I don't know, what did I say? Law of contact? Law of contagion? <laughs> law of contagion? I had it written down here somewhere. The law of contagion, the law of contact. So whatever a witch does to a material object will affect that person um, that the object once belonged to. So, okay, yeah, so poppets. So when you make a poppet, and you're using the law of contact, normally you would include something that belonged to the person that the poppet is representing. In most cases, it's easiest if you live with the person or you are in close proximity to the person to get some hair or fingernail clippings or something to that effect. Or if you um, get... I don't know, a piece of clothing that once belonged to them and they don't use it anymore or they don't want it anymore or they're going to donate it and you make the poppet out of that. That would work too. Now, poppet could also go along with the law of similarity because you can make a poppet as a representation of someone without using any object that once belonged to that person, but you can make it in their likeness. So uh, something that I've seen before is making a poppet and then taking a picture of the person that the poppet is supposed to represent and cutting out their face and putting that on the head of the poppet, there you have a representation of the person that the poppet is for. Now I'm not going to get into the uses for the poppets because that's none of my business what you use the poppet for. <laughs> um, another thing that would be an example of sympathetic magic is like a, a, like a spell jar. So you want to do, oh god, what is that jar? Like a honey pot? You want to sweeten someone up? You would use sympathetic magic because that 
I believe the honeypot requires something of that person. So, or their name, or their photo, or something. The same way that a poppet works. So you would put the representation or the item from that person into the jar, put sugar and honey and all of that stuff in it, close the jar, and you leave it. And that's supposed to sweeten up and the, sweeten up the person that is inside the jar. Basically, it's supposed to make them more agreeable, make them nicer, not as rude or abrasive or negative, that sort of thing. That is a sympathetic that is a form of sympathetic magic because you're not actively casting a spell. So, and I'm sure there are like a million other ways that you can bring sympathetic magic into your life to really make the changes that you want to see or do the things that you need to do. Protection, healing, banishing, binding, hexing, cursing, you know, I don't judge. You do, you do you. Just cause, just cause it's not for me doesn't mean it's not for you. I'm just here to explain how it works or how I think it works. Cause I'm not an, <laughs> I'm not an expert and I'm not a physicist and I'm not a psychologist. So yeah, you can do like healing poppets, witches ladders. Oh, that's one I didn't talk about. Witches ladders. So I read something a lot, like a long time ago, and it's just stuck in my head that sailors before the time of motorized boats, and they would actually have to sail by the wind, would tie knots in a cord and they used those as a representation of the wind. So if it was like too windy and they were getting blown off course, they'd tie another knot in the cord to tie up the wind and make it stop or slow down. Now, if they needed a gust of wind in their sails, they would untie a knot to let the wind loose, to let it go. That is a perfect example of sympathetic magic. You can also do arts and crafts. Um, if you want, oh gosh, this is really law of attraction-like, I think. Um, but see yourself getting what it is that you want or what it is that you need. Um, so say, for example, you really, really need a new car and you're an artist and you can paint. So get yourself into a trance state of mind and paint. Paint that car, the one that you want or the one that you need with yourself sitting in the driver's seat. You're happy. You're singing along to the music. Everything's peachy. It's yours and that's it. Manifest those changes for yourself. That is a form of sympathetic magic. I'm sure there's so much more that you can do with sympathetic magic, but that's all I got for now because I, yeah, I'll talk about it in the bonus section. <laughs> so until next time, everyone, bye. bonus section bonus section I guess I just really need a place to vent my frustrations and my life because I don't have any friends <laughs> this is what happens when you're a secluded Scorpio you have no friends in real life nobody 
in your area that you can talk to. I've got friends that live like back home and we talk, but it's not the same. You know, I really wish my one friend was here. She knows who she is. I don't know if she listens to this, but I miss her a lot. Um, yeah. So I wanted to have the bonus section just to sort of keep you guys updated, mainly because I missed last week. I gave you guys sort of like a random, super late notice heads up if you guys follow me on social media anywhere, which if you don't, you should be. Links in the show notes. <laughs> shameless, shameless self plug there. Um, but at the beginning of May, I started recording and producing an audiobook through Audible. So acx.com, you can sign up for free and audition for audiobooks. And I <laughs> severely, severely underestimated the amount of time and effort it would take to do this one audiobook that I got picked for, um, that I auditioned for, and they picked me. Um, so it was about 90,000 words, and it took for freaking ever, forever. And I felt like such an idiot because I just, I didn't realize how much work would go into it. And I thought, oh, you know, cool. I record a podcast. I can talk to a microphone and I can read a script and whatever, you know, I can do that. It shouldn't be too hard. Um, well, uh, no, it was really freaking difficult to manage my time because I work full time and I'm a mom and I've got other responsibilities and I just kind of screwed it all up because I would wake up in the morning, I'd go to work and then I'd come home and I would cook whatever food needed to be cooked. And then I'd say, okay, mom has to go to work. And then I felt like shit and like I was being a really shitty mom because I felt like I was always working. I was always doing something on my computer or whatever. And I know I've talked about it in past episodes about managing your time. Let me be real with you. I suck at it. It is not my strong suit. I get in those moods where I don't want to do a damn thing. That's why I'm recording this podcast on Thursday and not Tuesday because I just got burnt the hell out. Burnt out. I'm surprised, honestly, I'm surprised I still have a voice because that was like 10 hours of recording and then I had to edit it all. And uh, who knows if there's anything that I'm going to have to fix because I just clicked the I'm done button and now it has to go, uh, the rights holder approved it. And now it has to go through Audible's QA to make sure that it meets their standards. So, you know, I'm sure that for being the first audiobook that I've ever done and for being the first time I've ever hardcore edited audio, there's going to be a bunch of stuff that I have to fix. So I haven't even bothered auditioning for another one, even though I want to, because I like to torture myself. Um, yeah, yeah. It would just be, honestly, it would be so much easier if I didn't have, a, if I didn't have to work, but this is the real world and I have to work. I have to make that money to provide for my family or help provide for my family. I'm not the only one that works. 
Um, yeah. Eventually, I do want to make this like a full-time thing, but it's going to take so much time and so much work and so much effort. And I'm just, I'm scared that I'm going to be too tired all the time. And I'm scared that I'm going to miss out on things because I'm going to always be working. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Rambly bonus section is rambly. Rambly episode is rambly. Short episode is short. I'm sorry, guys. Um, so, yeah. I guess that's it for my first ever bonus section. That was really boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I gotta get back into the swing of this. I will. I promise. Recording my podcast is something that I really, really, really enjoy doing. And I'm glad that there's a bunch of you out there to get something out of what I have to say. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say thanks again for taking the time out of your day to listen to me. Um, honestly, truly, it does mean a lot that you guys listen and I've spoken with a, a few of you and you guys are great. Um, don't forget that you can email me, direct message me, message me on Facebook, whatever you want. Reach out to me at roundthecauldron at gmail.com with any questions comments, suggestions. Um, I don't bite and I will be always, I will be always, I will always be here to listen and help if I can. Um, please feel free to send me suggestions, guys. I'm one person and sometimes my brain doesn't function the way I want it to and I run out of things to talk about. So when that happens, my episodes tend to be kind of short. Um, I'd like to keep things educational. So if you have any questions, um, anything that you're really struggling with, let me know and I'll see how I can help. Um, for my Patreon person, because I have one person on Patreon. Hi, thank you so much for supporting me on Patreon. Um, I am thinking about starting like a Google Hangouts thing through Patreon, if you're in, I, don't, I haven't decided what tier, um, probably the $5 and up tier, I don't know, I'll figure it out, but I've thought about doing that where one Saturday a month, I get together, I sit down, um, hop over on Patreon and have like a live video chat with my patron, patrons, if anybody else decides to join me in the time of this episode. And when I actually decide to make that a thing, um, yeah, so you can support me on Patreon, uh, support this podcast, help me meet my goal of maybe being able to quit my day job. Oh, good luck with that. I, I need to take my own advice and manifest my desires. That's what I got to do. <laughs> so please consider supporting this podcast through Patreon at patreon.com slash roundthecauldron. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get patron-only exclusives, which include early access to episodes before they go live, guided meditations, and whatever the hell else I decide to put on there. Uh, follow the show on social media and at roundthecauldron.com, where you can find educational articles, show notes, links, and more.